first, I think we need to talk about the fact that you are back from your business trip. I survived. <laughs> did you survive yourself and your anxiety? I did, and it was yeah. it was it was on. My anxiety was full. Once on. you got to the airport, were you better? I was a little better once I got to the airport, only because I was really hungry, and so the first thing I did was sit down. Order order a drink and have some food. Yeah, so you're able and to it was horrible fun. food. I mean, okay. it was just horrible airport food. Mm. It was like a chicken sandwich and it was all rubbery and everything, but I was starving. Mm. And so at least just the act of being hungry and just, you know, trying to suppress that need. Right. <laughs> it, it detracted from my anxiety. Yeah. That's oh. good. So. So you're back and that's behind you. It is. It was a good trip. When's your next? Do you have any travel booked? Any future travel? Uh, no, no. That's good. Not anytime soon. Cool. Well, I'm glad that you're, uh, you don't have to worry about that anymore. I will say though, it's been a while since I've flown Southwest and I still do not like the process of it. I don't either. It's just a cattle call. You, you somehow have to get in the right lane at the right time and you're, you're almost expected to cut line because there's these stalls, kind of makeshift stalls set up where you kind of go and you have a number, you don't have a seat, you have a number that you're supposed to go and stand in. Mm. Oh, yeah. And I wasn't prepared for that. So everyone was just like going. Yeah. You know, if they had an A thing, it didn't matter what part of the line they were in, they were just going. To me, there's this, um, there's this awkward thing of uh, when you, when there are basically no, the only seats left are, are the middle seats. So there's no window or aisle left. Right. And you're, so you're walking down the aisle and You've got to pick a seat to sit in, right? And yeah. everyone is everyone as you walk by is looking at you, saying, "Please don't pick us! Please don't pick us!" And you got to pick somebody. <laughs> I know. Well, that happened to me on the way back because I, I I wasn't able to get on early enough to to choose my my seat. But thankfully, after I stuck my bag in the overhead, I kind of glanced over at in the nearest aisle, and the guy was like, "Hey, come on in." Yeah. So. Yeah, I like. To I guess he looked at me and said, "He's the least offensive person left standing. Maybe I'll uh, let him sit next true. to me." Yeah, you were probably better than whatever. I was still dressed up for the day because we we'd come directly from the client oh. side, so I didn't look like you didn't look like a bum. Look like a bum. <laughs> yeah, it helps apparently. So you're wearing a costume, basically. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we get into our. Do we want to talk about Dreamforce. Let's talk about Dreamforce. I'm excited. Yeah. So we, so we'll be, it's official. We'll be going as, what are they categorized? Is it press or bloggers? Bloggers. It was like three things listed. It was like press, analyst, blogger, self is, is the way it was listed on, on my registration. Okay. So you're an analyst, you're press, you're a blogger, blogger and you are yourself. And I am myself. That's very, uh, I guess all that, all that means is that we're attending as press analyst slash blogger. So I think that's the category. Right. And I'm not associating myself with the company. I'm going as myself, which allows us to be a little more free about what we do. Yeah. Especially since I'm paying for it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> no one's sponsoring me right. to go. So therefore their name is not on my badge. Yep. So yeah, that'll be cool. I was, I was excited. I was, I was shocked because I, I pretty much prepared myself for the fact that we, or in my head, I was, I was just, it was just there. I'm like, this is a long shot. Yeah. You know, but, uh, yeah, I saw that email. What was it? Monday night? I think so. Tuesday. Think it was. Tuesday. And I'm all, I think I started texting you all giddy like a school. I was like, check your email, check your email. Yeah. So yeah, I'm excited. That is really awesome. 
So now we got a we got a. So everything's pretty much booked up. We have yeah. a hotel room. We have the hotel. Got the flight. Got our confirmation of registration. We got to set up, you know, our our schedules and everything while we're there. But yeah, it's definitely happening. Yeah, you're popping, man. Your breath. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's not even peace. I don't. It's weird. Just anytime you. So you want to put call. that back on? I don't know. That's weird that it's. I don't know. It's just. I don't know how it's going down like that, but. Anyway, um, I think is are there any Dreamforce? Um, is there any dream, news about Dreamforce? No, other than it's no. just you know there's pl- trying to get through. The price keeps going up. You really have to book in advance. We need to, um, yeah. Are we going to organize our um, meetup? I mean, I guess we still have time, obviously, but. Well, my fear with that is that. You know, I don't think we're gonna have a place to meet. Oh, we unless can meet we, unless we like meet at the stairs or something. Someone, someone, I think it was Matt on on Twitter said just crash someone's party. <laughs> yeah, that. it's like we're all gonna go to this this one event and let's, let's meet there and we'll say hi. Yeah. Well, I saw all the uh, the bars just way too crowded. Can't get yeah. in anywhere. Wow, yeah, everything's everything's not want to go. I see. I'm the type of guy when I walk when I have plans to go somewhere, I'll get there. And if I see this really crowded, there are lines. I am. I just turn right around and I leave. Yeah, I, it just gives me anxiety. I don't like dealing with crowds. Yeah, so this is going to be well. Every every vendor is, is setting something up to smooth, and just about every company that's taken a group of people is is trying to set up dinner and you know nice evening. Well, that's why we should have gone as customers, because then people would want to schmooze us. But now, no one's going to care. Well, maybe they want some press. <laughs> That's true, man. Are you hearing that? I heard that. Yeah. I heard that when it's I just... laughed. Yeah. Um, Are we breaking the fourth wall with with our audio here? Can we can we talk about this? Because it's it's on the show. Oh yeah, I guess. I mean, it's something so, you're doing. Just you took your air. What's that? Uh, your windscreen off. Yeah. Because it's not made for that mic, and it. But now you're popping some. Totally, just when like you like laugh, or I don't even think it's peas and typical plosive. It's just random. Right. At random times, just but. Well, while we're on the subject of audio etiquette, can we talk about our charity, our charity idea, our swear jar? <laughs> sure. So we also haven't mentioned that we do have a special guest in the studio today, <laughs> who, shall, who shall remain silent. I'm, I'm hoping. Possibly. I'm hoping he remains right. silent. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, my my son is. Is in the studio with us. Just chilling with his iPad. He's he's hanging out with the iPad and headphones, and hopefully we'll be quiet. So <laughs> if you guys hear some weird singing in the background yeah. or some kid, it's it's my son. Wife took the daughter on a little three day trip for her birthday, and so it's just just daddy and me, yeah. or me and me and my son. Ew. <laughs> John and dad. John and daddy. <laughs> a daddy Sunday or a week. All right. So what what was going to be next? Oh, we're going to talk about, um, so last week oh, we yeah. talked about our, you know, our yeah. swear jar. So we're going to try to improve our, reduce our ticks, our, our kind of verbal ticks that we have, so to speak. Right. And now we have some disagreement about how this works. Now, I, I think that I go back in the episode and listen to both of us and mark off, you know, what I hear as being a verbal tick or just something that just needs to be corrected. And I'll mark that, and based on marking that number is what we donate. However, you're you're of the mindset that that we should be able to catch each other first. It's not should. It's just that number one. That's a ridiculous amount of work for you to have to do. Number one, 
and I think it's I think the fun part of it is us catching each other and catching ourselves. All right. Well, I already did the work <laughs> of listening to the podcast and uh, marking down some ticks. And if anything else, it's actually interesting what words ended up being repetitive. But we'll, we'll just say this: I won in terms of donations because based on my t- my counter, I owe fifty one dollars. Oh and gosh. based on yours, you owe $33. Jeez. Now, where did that come from? I was very specific about how I tallied these up. I didn't, I tried to take into account the context of what we were saying. So if you used a word correctly that maybe like so or um. Right. You know, if you use that in a, in a correct way, then I wouldn't count it. But if it was just there as filler okay. or just something you said re- repetitively, um, I marked it. Yeah. So the words I, I watched for was um or uh, like, so, lip smacking, which there wasn't that much of. Oh, I hate that. And that it wasn't just, you know, like mouth speak. It was specifically if I went, yes. you know, something like that. Yeah, right. And to that, we both did at least once. Oh, yeah. I'm sure I do it all the time. Uh, and then I counted stuttering or repeating words kind of in the same thing. So if it was like, uh, 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 or and this, and this, and this. You know, if you just use that same word within the same sentence. Oh, man, you're getting, you're getting strict here. Goodness gracious. Actually was another word. Uh, you know. Yeah, or right or yeah. Now, that one was hard to tally because sometimes it was me just agreeing with you or you agreeing with me. I don't think I'm going to be able to say anything. I'm just, my, <laughs> I feel like my. <laughs> but in, in a certain context, it, if it was used as filler, not as a response, or it technically was a response in every case, but it seemed more like a filler response. Like you just wanted, like I just wanted to acknowledge that I was here listening. Yeah, like that. Yeah. <laughs> so I counted those, and then the other one that we use a lot apparently is "I think." I didn't actually tick it because I thought, well, you know, we, we talked. See, about this the, is this is why this has to be done live because we have to like agree. Like you, can, right? I, you just can't go and do this, but you know, audit audit us by yourself. Plus, that's just so much work. That's it was really it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. So let me tell you how the numbers came out. On ums. Oh my gosh, are we getting down accounts by each one? This is no, no, no. I'm just, gonna, I'm just going to give you the major ones, <laughs> okay. the ones that surprised me. On ums, I thought I would be the one that overused ums. It turned out on that episode, it was you. Yeah. And at one point, it was like four in a row. It was um. This you said like two words uh, yeah. two words um, yeah. two words uh. uh. For me, my biggest one was the yes, the yes or the rights. I would just every time I hear dead space. After you spoke, I would go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know was, was fairly equal for you and I, and then, of course, the stuttering for the two things, for the one, two, three, three major things. That is far more detail than I cared to put our listeners through. <laughs> <laughs> I took this and ran with it, man. All right. You're taking the fun out of it, John. I'm gonna give You're taking the fun out of it. Get your bell ready or your buzzer or something. So coin, you have a coin update. I thought this was dead. This is back. Is it alive? It's back. It's, it's alive, back. man. I'm not dead yet. I'm going to do something live here. <laughs> okay. Oh, you have it. <laughs> <laughs> For those who cannot watch us, I just threw my, my yeah. new coin credit card at Jeremy. So well, I need can, a demo. I wanted a live. I wanted you to get your live reaction to I it. I thought I saw this earlier. No, I didn't know what it was. That was you want to press the button. It doesn't I hurt. I tried. It didn't do anything. You broke it when you threw it. I broke it? <laughs> no. Did I break it already? <laughs> <laughs> so it says lock. It's locked. 
So this is a real, we have a live actual coin card in yeah. the studio. <laughs> I promise I haven't tried it yet. I just got it last night and I loaded the cards on it and I meant to run by the gas station or something and try it out, but I haven't, I haven't done that yet. But yeah, I mean, man, we've been talking about coin for over a year now, right? Yeah. When I first backed it. That's just now you have Apple Pay and. I know I have Apple, have the pay on the phone i've got the pay on the watch and we've got the credit card and apple pay is not it's not even close to ubiquitous yet but it's going to be so it's kind of sad they finally they finally ship this right knowing that this is it they're probably not going to do like a bunch of future runs of this. so how do you enter the you enter a code or how does it unlock i think you have to unlock it at your phone okay. so there's an app associated with it with a certain, the code is kind of interesting. You use kind of a Morse code type tapping. Mm. So you you tap, cool. you tap it a certain way for the code. That's that interesting. Unlocks it, and then you're able to select which card you want, and it's it's got the tiny little screen on it. But I'm look. actually amazed by how thin it is. I mean, there's actual electronics. There's a battery in here. Yeah, you know, it's pretty thin. It's basically like a credit card. Although credit cards have gotten thinner recently, have you noticed that? My credit cards are thinner, the new ones, and my new driver's license is thinner, which is, I guess is good in terms of like wallet size. Yeah. Well, it saves money on the plastic to print it. Yeah, I don't know if that's... I feel no like, one wants the extra bulk. I guess so. But the yeah. one thing it doesn't have, which I think we're probably moving to in terms of credit cards, because I think things like mobile device payments or, or things like that will probably start to take over. But I think credit cards will need to start having a chip in them so that they can as well you know, manage transactions that way. Yeah, because what is it, within the next year, we're going to move to 100% chip, chip and, what do they call it, chip and sign, I guess? Yeah. And I still don't know why we don't have chip and pen, but whatever. I noticed they had the place where you sign your name on the back of that card, which is just security theater that credit cards have always had. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little nervous to try and use it, so I want to use it by myself a few times. So at, at the... One of your special places you go to by yourself? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean like at the gas station or some kind of self-service kiosk where I, I can scan it and see what's going on and make sure everything's working right before yeah. I hand it to someone. You don't want to embarrass yourself, right, yeah. in front of company. <laughs> I mean, because there's it's aside from everything else, it it looks like a it doesn't it looks like a card, but there's no numbers on it. There's nothing there the traditional you know credit card numbers with your name on it and things like that. And my fear is that people are going to look at it and go, uh, this is fake. Stop trying to fraud us, dude, and get out of here. I think you'll get some funny looks, for sure. Yeah. So I, I, I'm going to have to do a lot of teaching. Yeah. Have you ever paid with Apple Pay and the person had no idea, the person at the register had no idea what you were doing or how they, you, how you even just paid? No. Really? Yeah, I think I've been the first app to Apple Pay with a couple of clerks, and it just shows up on their screen as, hey, he just paid. And they're like, What? <laughs> Am I saying like? I don't think I'm saying it bad. I don't know. Someone can be like something, right? That's a short for like someone says something. Right. Well, speaking of mobile devices, Apple had their WWDC on Monday. Yep. How can we not talk a little bit about that? I mean, there's tons of news out there and anyone who's in our industry has probably already seen it or at least read the summaries and all the kind of stuff that, that comes with it. Mm -hmm. um, but I, there's a lot of things in there I like. I think like it's going to be a great update. I iOS and OS ten or? For iOS, especially the multitasking. Yeah. And I, I kind of agree, and it was kind of in the back of my head when I was seeing the multitasking, that 
it, it further supports the i the rumor mill of an iPad Pro coming out, which is basically just you know an iPad Air without a keyboard. I don't. For me, I don't know if it cements that that theory as much as it's just Apple had to do this. I mean, the other competitive platforms have it, and they have right. had it, right? So I think they had to, but. I mean, it could be something that enables that for sure. It seems like because well, one of the things about the iPad, we'll just say "quote unquote" Pro. We'll just call it that for now. Is that it would be a larger form factor, so it would be bigger in terms of screen real estate. And so the fact that we have these type of splitting screens and you know multitasking would lend itself to a bigger screen versus some of the smaller yeah, devices, right? Which would make that feature much more valuable. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's some pretty interesting uh, use cases for. For I guess what is it called when you have two apps on the screen, like on the iPad? What was that? Just, I just multitasking. multitasking. Or, okay. Yeah, I don't know if they had a special name for it. Yeah, because multitasking doesn't necessarily. That just means that there are several processes, I guess, running, sharing the CPU. But whatever it's called, when you actually can have two applications on the screen, because you know iOS added some kind of multitasking before, right? And background, like also like background. Yeah, but there were just processes. background yeah, processes. Yeah, maybe so. So the thing, the app would run in the background. You get your notifications and updates and things like that. Yeah. But you know, you weren't you weren't interacting with it. One of the other features I really liked is well, I don't know if I should say I really like it because all it's going to do is help me waste more time. But the the idea that you can float a video window while you multitask and do other right. things, yeah, that's cool. I, I love that because that's yeah. kind of what I do on my notebook and why I keep my notebook where it is because I can take notes or I can work on something and just have a little thing playing in the corner. But sure. half, half the time when I do that, I end up watching this, the darn video well, yeah, instead of doing this other stuff. It's your own like, time management yeah. issue, issue. No but, no one can really multitask. I'm just no. I'm just flipping my attention one or, between one or the two. Right. Yeah, you don't have, you're not multi-core. Yeah. <laughs> There's no parallel processing <laughs> no, going on here. <laughs> um, but yeah, because right now on iOS, any video, it goes to full screen automatically, right? And you can't, you can't like take a video that's playing and, and take it out of full screen and then size it down and do yeah, it. You, you know. you, it doesn't like, right. it doesn't have a window, so you can't resize it or anything now. Yeah. If you're in the Twitter, Twitter, I'm sorry, YouTube app, you know, it plays in a certain small frame with the other stuff and then that's you can true. make, maximize yeah. it. Or even in Facebook, it does that as well. Yeah. But there's no, it's not an actual window that you can interact with and reposition and move around. Yeah. Which is fine for phones, but on the iPad, it, it, it is nice. It would be nice to do that. But did you notice, um, you know, Salesforce was getting a little bit of a, I'm going to call it anonymous love because it, it was not overly apparent that it was Wave that you were seeing, but a lot of the screenshots where they were showing some kind of bar chart that was a stack or and the words would kind of be cut off like top opportunities. No, it was I didn't actually see that. wave. Was that in the keynote? Yeah, it no, was it was okay. in a lot of the screenshots where they showed the apps. And on top of that, if you go to uh, the keynote for iOS for the watch update, if you scroll down where it talks about applications running natively, mm-hmm. the screenshot they have is wave. Okay. Yeah, I I actually saw um an article they interviewed uh, Parker Harris about the Wave app for the for the watch. Is that what you're talking about? By the way, right. if you're yeah. talking about watch or iOS, you were seeing screenshots. Watch. Okay, watch. Um, and he uh, <laughs> he admitted that they're still trying to figure out how Apple Watch will actually help people. Um, I don't know. I, I really struggle to to 
to be honest with myself about how in the world a an itty bitty four bar graph on my watch is useful. I mean, I've, I've had the watch for about a week now. And so I'm getting more familiar with its, what its strengths and weaknesses are and what just what, you know, what you can expect out of a screen that's that size. And I actually think I've had to lower my expectations a little bit. I mean, it's, it's just a, I mean, it's a great screen. Colors right. are great. The resolution is great, but it's just, it's just, it's a watch face. Um, and when you talk about, you know, approving, I would never, I, I don't think I could ever approve a deal or a, you know, a workflow or, you know, something on, on the watch. You are going to have to get your phone out. I mean, I guess it's nice to get the notif. I mean, the big thing for me with the watch is notifications. The fact that at least I can see that there is an approval, but I'm not going to, I don't want to, I don't, wouldn't want someone to have an approve button on their watch where they can just see a half of a sentence and approve, you know, and approve it or deny it. <laughs> it's right. I just don't get that use case. And he, so he, you know, he admitted that. He, um, and then he said, uh, he said, I think there's still a lot to learn. It's a small screen, a small device. So what kind of things are the right things to solve on a watch versus a phone or, or tablet or a, or a full screen? Um, and these are the things that we just don't know yet. So I, right. I, I, I think it's cool that Salesforce has gotten, they were the, I guess the first business app or whatever for the watch or, you know, it's cool that they're, they're in that, that group. And that, you know, that Apple's obviously working with them to some degree, but I think they have no idea what's going to make sense. I mean, I'm sure they have ideas, but we just don't know for sure what is going to, what's going to make sense to have on the watch and what's not going to make sense and what ideas our partners and third party and, and Salesforce customers are, what ideas are they going to have to yeah. put, to put info on, on a, on a watch face? Well, it, it is first release. And one of the things holding it back, which is getting resolved in this new release is, is the fact that the watch apps themselves are pretty much just smaller extensions of apps on your phone. Yeah. So they're not native running apps, and so they can't exist by themselves. Not so, yet, right? Not yet, and that, that'll be coming out in this next release, which will give developers the opportunity to explore that topic and you know, see what does work as a standalone that, that doesn't require your, your phone. Right. And, even, uh, and it's going to make more use of, of all these web services that we have available the watch will? What yeah. will? The watch will make it more use of web services? What do you mean by that? Well, because it, it'll be Wi-Fi enabled. So the fact that it, it can run more apps natively without your phone having to be there, which means it can actually submit and interact with your cloud data without having to be attached to your phone. Which, which potentially... I don't think if we know if it'll do that. So right now it has Wi-Fi. It does Wi-Fi. Like if, you, um, if you're at home and you leave your, your phone in your bedroom and you walk out to the living room and so you're no longer Bluetooth range, mm-hmm. they'll start communicating on Wi-Fi at that point. Right. But I don't think the watch, at least yet, w- w- uses that Wi-Fi to start communicating with the internet, like, re- mm. like calling web services and stuff. And maybe, maybe that's what you're saying. Maybe it will. I, I don't know. Yeah, and I could be speaking out of turn on that one. That, that was my impression, but I, 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 you're right. I don't have full confirmation that that's what's going to happen. Yeah. That, that would make it far more useful to me. And, and, and it being more of a standalone device. Really? I mean, how often do you not have your phone nearby? More and more now. And also, I, I, really, I have less anxiety about leaving my phone somewhere with that because I have the watch. Because I, you know, my phone alerts me when I have a meeting coming up. My phone, you know, when someone calls. So I feel like I always have to have it with me. I can't tell you how many times I've walked around the entire day without knowing where my phone was. And sometimes, you know, hours later going, where's my phone? Yeah. And, and find it in my office or in my bedroom somewhere, 
you know, where I left it. Right. But your phone is still, your watch still can be communicating with your phone over, over it's your still communicating, that point, but, so. but in that instance, I realize how valuable the watch has been because I don't have to carry oh, my yeah, phone around. Yeah. Although, you know, most notifications I get, they're either ones that I didn't care about or ones that, okay, now I need my phone. <laughs> right. By the way, I'm going to start buzzing you. And this goes to the swear jar every time you interrupt me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, this is getting, it's getting rich now. Um, what else did he say? Um, oh, he said, you know, aside from phone calls and text messages, this is Parker Harris workflow and approval seem to be the best use cases for the watch. And that's like, if those are the best use cases, then I'm not sure that the watch is a great, you know, Salesforce input output device, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'd have to, I guess I'd have to see it, but I mean, just based on the fact that, you know, I can get a one, sentence text from someone and that whole sentence doesn't even show up on you know and it's like what are you what are you going to do <laughs> well because that's that's in the context of a notification right i mean there's no reason you couldn't have a larger scrolling area and you're just using the the crown to scroll through it yeah and i guess if you could somehow set i mean if i wonder if there are going to be layout types for watch so right now you know you've got many layouts on these different layouts layouts that are used for phone sizes and then full desktop layouts. I wonder if there will be like a watch or a wearable layout that you could cram in like all the information you would theoretically need to do an approval on say an opportunity or something so that right. you could scroll through some simple view of that. I mean that that could possibly be interesting. I still think it's, I just feel like the watch in general is stretch. A lot of the supposed use cases are really a stretch. Like I like what it does in terms of just notifications and some of the basic stuff, but it's it's very hard to to have a conversation with someone texting or whatever. You know, you're going to be dictating everything, and then you have to wait for it to make sure it dictated it right. And yeah, it, and I'm like, ah, give me my phone. I'm too old for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know the notifications are valuable. Yes, and I think the other side of it is going to be the sensors that it has available to it. So, you know, health track, health and fitness and all that kind of tracking right. information, yeah. which we did see is going to get, you know, beefed up. So we're going to get more apps and more. The data is actually technically there and the sensors are technically there, but they're going to start to enable and expose a lot more of it. So hopefully I'll start to see more value out of that as well. Because right yeah. now I use it because I'm trying to make a good go at it to see how much of it I can use without having to go back to my phone. But I really don't like the the native workout tracking and heart rate monitoring and all those kind of things. I still prefer the other things that I've done with my phone. So so I'm hoping that with this new stuff coming out, I'll start to see a little more value. Yeah. They, these version one apps are really basic. Yeah. But like you said, that all the physical, the hardware capabilities are there. It just This is all just a matter of like enhancing the software now. Right. So that's a good position to be in. Um, but another thing that uh, Parker Harris was talking about was how this is cr- watches are creating ADD. In fact, I think that's what this whole article was about. And you know, he he even said, you know, the, having this watch is not reducing the amount of time I I'm getting inter- interrupted. No, it's increasing it. I had to disable a lot of notifications, even though they were valuable to me. But you know what I said about to that? I just interrupted you. <laughs> You're supposed to disable some notifications, right? Yeah. You're supposed to to uh, you know cu- not curate. I hate that word. You're supposed to customize these notifications you get. It always amazes me when I look at someone's phone at their notifications and I just see 
loads of notifications just for months. I'm like, wow, you yeah. don't customize your notifications at all. That's you would be much happier with how this phone operated if you realized that you could only you could eat it to show you only stuff that you care about. Same thing with the watch, right? I will I will say the watch is more dangerous in terms of distractions. Mm. I when I'm driving, I yeah. I cannot look at I can I cannot not look at my phone. Is that right? Right. If my phone rings, I can ignore it. Okay. It's it's in its little I stick it in the cup holder or this little slot that I have. And if it rings or I'll just reach over and click the button. Yeah. The watch is on my wrist and it's on the steering wheel and inevitably every time I look at it. So there's seconds where I'm looking at my watch and not the road. Right. And I'm very conscious of that. You know, I don't want to be that person that ends up causing an accident because I'm looking at my devices. The watch is far more dangerous than than the phone is. Right. Just because it, it's so much more convenient. It's right there in your face. I guess after you get in a wreck, it's not much of an excuse to say, well, I was trying to approve a deal. And, <laughs> right? I mean. No, no. In fact, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there were features that, you know, if, when the watch knows that you are move you're in a, in a car because i think it does know when you're in a car and it can just tell by your gps activity right um just to not show you these things like there should be very limited things that pop up when you're in a moving car but i guess it doesn't know if you're the driver though right right so these are these are all we're gonna, we're gonna have to figure these things out now I, there are some things that i would love my watch to be able to do change the temperature of my house well, that's Turn coming. off lights. That's coming. I know. Not here, I'm just right? saying okay. that like, if for, va- for the sake of just what would be valuable to me, it's, it's the automation stuff of, you know, turning lights off. More than anything, my thermostat, because I'm always messing with that. Right. I would love for it to unlock my car and start it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean, not have to do keys, not anything. Just look at my watch and, you know. When you get close. Yeah. Yeah. That would be cool. Are you a home automation guy? I want to be. But practicality, it just, I have to go through and dig up every device or stick a box in front of every plug. It's, unless you're building a house and you can build all that in, I doubt you're going to go through the trouble of really going through and automating your entire house. Because that really requires commitment. That means switching out all your light switches, switching out all your light bulbs, switching out all your plugs so that they're enabled on the network. Yeah. And I'm kind of glad I haven't at this point because the, what used to be the main technology for that like five years ago, and I don't know the names of these. But they've basically been replaced by different technologies. Right. They're obsolete already. So I feel like this that hasn't shaken out yet. And I know that, I think, I mean, at the fact that Apple's getting to this, what do they call it? HomeKit, right? Yeah. Well, Home, yeah. Apple and Google both. Right. But I think that will push things to be standardized and, and get to the point where you can actually feel comfortable about starting to, if you are one of the, uh, you know, home automation type of person. Yeah. I'm not even sure I am. Like, I think it's okay to get off your butt every once in a while and turn the light switch off or on, you know? <laughs> yeah. But the technology's kind of failed. Like, I can't even get reliable caller ID on my TV screen to show up, even though it's a feature there, and I tried to enable it 100 times over. I just can't seem to get that to work. So hmm. I, don't, I don't know where the technology is failing, because I have interest in it. But like you said, I'm afraid that whatever I choose is going to end up failing, becoming obsolete, and I've already invested in that. Right. So having someone like Apple or Google set up some kind of standardized protocol that, that we can all use and kind of get behind helps. Because what happens is if it doesn't get traction, then it can't improve. So if there's not someone out there investing and nerding out about it, the, right. the rest of us have little to no hope. And it's also, it's also all about the third party 
all the these device makers and light switch lutron all these companies you know they've got to feel comfortable about that there's they're investing in a in a standard technology right. standard that's going to be around for a while but i, I, like I, said, I feel like we're kind of there now it's just it's stuff is still you know i don't know it's expensive and there's it's so much of it's so new i'm just i'm just i'm i'm waiting I mean, well, I'm, I mean, I'm, just, to- I'm just getting to the point where I've replaced my ridiculous CFL light bulbs because those aren't dimmable. I think I've almost got them all replaced with L- these uh, dimmable LEDs. Cause CFL was the biggest scam perpetrated on yeah. like American consumers in a long time. What a scam that was. I agree. They were really expensive. They don't last near as long as what they're supposed to in order for you to get your money back. If you break one, you have to call on hazmat. You're not allowed to throw them away. <laughs> ridiculous <laughs> they don't dim <laughs> anyway stop throwing light bulbs around i know that's i will throw a mercury filled light bulb at you i can't remember the last time i've broken a light bulb it's a good defense like instead of carrying a knife just carry a mercury filled cfl bulb with you <laughs> i'll break this in your face <laughs> i know what's going on at your house you're breaking light bulbs man no i'm not i'm talking about when i'm you know need to defend myself out in the public in the uh, you know, the main streets of Frisco, Texas. So instead of a bottle, <laughs> so dangerous. Instead of breaking the end of a bottle, you're breaking the end of light bulbs. Yeah, and, and I'll just and I'll hold it in your in your nose. You'll have to inhale that. <laughs> oh, you are crazy. People won't mess with me. Hey, did you see that Salesforce uh, has a data loader for Mac now? Yeah, it's called Lexi Loader. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Have you used it? Lexi Loader, yes. Yeah. I mean the the new officially sanctioned. Lexi Loader. By the way, I've heard people saying that it is not Lexi Loader. They built it from the ground up. Maybe they did. Well, I can tell you for sure that's not the case. And here's the reason why. Well, it looks exactly the same. I mean, there's no way they could have they could they could have made it from scratch. But so here's where we are. Here's the state of the art. Now that we have an officially sanctioned Salesforce OS 10 data loader, it still is not Retina. So if you have a or high DPI, whatever, so it looks it still looks terrible. Um, one improvement though. Uh, you can see the entire uh, setting screen, including the the, uh, the, uh, the button that you have to push to confirm. The, I was, I was the biting screen. my tongue on that tidbit because that was, was going to be my first question: is it, can can the, you see the entire setting? That dialogue? was the, as far as I can tell, that was the one thing they fixed. But um, funny, I had just reins, reformatted and reinstalled OS X on my machine, um, and a c- couple of days later, I installed this new data loader, and so I didn't have any Java or anything on my machine yet. And you know what it made me install? Java 6. Oh, really? Which is from 2006. That, so, so Salesforce's new data loader makes you install Java from 2006. Didn't we have the <laughs> same problem with Eclipse, with the Eclipse plugin, that we had to stick with a certain version of it? And we had to. I mean, Eclipse itself, maybe, but Eclipse will run on a newer... No, Eclipse will, but I'm talking about the Salesforce plugin, I think, required some older version of Java and... When it when it auto updated, you had to do all this stuff to get it back. It was I refused. Was to, I refused to let that. Is that you talking about the force.com IDE plugin thing? Yes, I, that it, that is not allowed on my computer. Um, yeah, Java six has not had a security patch in two years, but that's right. what's required. Because I, in fact, I had um, I had already installed Java eight. In fact, because I had to, had to have it for some work, so I had Java eight, but it will not accept that. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna solve. Right. Let's, let's solve for that, Jeremy. <laughs> We we have we have the tools to solve is that, for that. Is it is it open source? I know they open sourced it at some point. They or they sorry they made the source available. It never has really been open source, right? But I I don't know as um, who was it Simon Fell that maintained that. I don't know if he kept an update. I say let's get it off Java. What let's do you get mean? Get it on some web technologies. Oh oh, just stick it on Node. Yeah. And, 
So do what Salesforce should have done. Yeah. Just re-implement it. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. But yeah, so if you've used Don't them, take my if, idea. You, if you've used the, the Lexi loader that has been available and you're tired of that setting screen, not being able to see it all, then uh, yeah, upgrade to this one. Other than that, it's exactly the same. <laughs> oh, um, okay. So uh, I wanted to talk about the Gartner Magic Quadrant for IAS. Gartner, Gartner, Gartner. Yeah, I know. Well, you, exactly. <laughs> You've heard of Gartner, haven't you? It's, it's Gartner. It's Gartner. Yeah. Gartner said that, uh, yeah. You have to listen to everything Gartner says. Um, so they, so no, they, I just have to look at their magic quadrants. Yeah. That's all anyone ever looks right. at. No, that's, that's how you know what to buy. <laughs> you, you pay for the, for the, for the, whatever the, uh, what the documents, the, what do they call them? It's the a briefs? subscription, right? You mean to Gartner? Yeah. But you everyone mean, pays Gartner for, for the materials that come out of it. And right. it all, everyone always focuses on the, on the quadrants. Right, they, you know, they, they want to see right. where they're at in that chart and how far away their competitors right. are. Maybe I mean, it's just because it's the most tangible, easy way to kind of snip it. It could be, yeah. I mean, there's a feel like because there's a lot of good information in the document. Yeah, it's like a fifty-page article. Yeah. But yeah, I guess everyone goes right to the picture, <laughs> the picture. But um, so this, so it was this. Okay, it was about infrastructure as a service, right? So. Amazon Web Services, Azure, all these things. <clears throat> Heroku? No, because their platform is a service. So this is oh. purely, I mean, they run on AWS. Yeah, you're right. Um, so they have these two, they have this new, I guess it's a, kind of a categories of use cases that they're putting customers of IaaS into. And they call, they're calling it mode one and mode two. And I, I think this is, I guess this is new because I look, went and looked back at 2014 and they didn't have this. Mode one and mode two. Is yeah, this like a version thing? No, these, it's like how you're going to use it. And okay. so mode one is basically maintaining existing applications. So you might take your kind of non-cloud native app and run, you know, move it onto the cloud. Um, that's like that's mode one. So, well, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> um, I was going to be mean and say, does that mean? Technically, taking a on-premise and sticking on a virtual server somewhere and sticking a web address—are they considered that moving it to the cloud? Or are they talking about re-engineering the technology no, to be it's, truly cloud-based? It's basically like using AWS for hosting of whatever something okay. you had hosted internally. Now you're just going to host it on AWS. Okay. You didn't—it's not re-architected. So it's not really built on cloud technologies. Yeah, mode two is basically any, anything you build new that you actually build as a cloud-native app. Okay, <clears throat> so that's one thing. Um, the, but the big, I guess the big headline here is, is again, you know, Amazon wins by a long shot. Um, they're like, whatever the top right quadrant is, they're, you know, they're the leader, they're the visionary and all that stuff. Um, but here's what was interesting. So there were, I don't know, 15, I guess 15 people that made it into this analysis, 15 companies. And Amazon Web Services is 10 times, um, let's see, 10 times more cloud and computer cloud compute capacity than all the other 14 added up. Interesting. Yeah. So basically, I mean, so Azure came in second place, but there really is no second place. I mean, you, you wouldn't, they wouldn't even show up on a, on a bar graph. It would be, you know, here's Amazon and all the others are just itty bitty, you know? Well, the others are, are playing catch up. So they're, they're That's scaling right. up to that. And Amazon has been there for a while. So right. they've already scaled up to that. Right. But it's and but the fact that Amazon has they were such an early 
you know, early to that business and they created that, they created that business. They invented it really. Uh, but they've got such a head start on everyone. It, it makes it, and it's questionable whether anyone other than someone like a Microsoft could catch them. And I think Microsoft. And what about Google? Um, they were. Are they pretty much out of it now? Uh, no, they're not. Um, let's see if I can try to see. So they're they're actually in a really good position. They are and they are a visionary, and they are almost in the. They're not far from the quadrant that Microsoft and AWS. So the leaders are AWS and Microsoft solely, just those two. And then uh, yeah, Google is is not far behind, but it's it's. You know, well, that says a lot about Microsoft since they, they're one of the newer ones to, to well, the market. And also, if you think of Azure, I don't think they added... So they, Azure started off as like platform as a service. And they added the more infrastructure as a service type of offering uh, like two, not even two years ago, maybe. So, yeah, I think they've... I mean, I think they're... Obviously, they're investing huge. This is one of their big... Probably the, their biggest initiative. Right. Right. Is, is cloud and... And this service, um, but yeah. So AWS, the one of the you know kind of the, their strong points are their you know very large uh, you know technology partner ecosystem. Um, there are lots of software vendors that basically are, have are licensed and and have packages that run on AWS. Almost you know just their product has essentially right. Um, AWS is a thought leader. Um, they're extraordinarily innovative, exceptionally agile, and very responsive to the market. Um, and they're beginning to... F- oh, I just smacked. <laughs> Got to mark me down. Although it's beginning to face more competition from Microsoft and Google, it retains a multi-year competitive advantage. So even though Microsoft is putting you know everything they can behind this, I, I do think they're, it's years before they'll, they would conceivably be able to catch up. And they are the safe choice. Like, no one ever got fired for buying AWS, right? Right. I think that runway for Microsoft might be shorter than you think. It could be. I mean, this. so this, I, that was Gartner's words. They said that they have a multi-year competitive advantage. I mean, obviously, they. I mean, AWS started m- multiple years before Azure started. So just by that alone, I guess you could say they do have a multi-year advantage. True. Now, if, will it take multiple years for them to... I mean, yeah, they're not, they're not going to reach AWS scale because AWS is at... Six six billion, six or seven billion in revenue right now. J- just AWS, and you know, I think Microsoft's you know un- under billion, maybe right around a billion. I think I think I think Microsoft is a billion um, with cloud total, which includes their SaaS, I think CRM and, and these other things. So, um, well, I just think that the market for for IaaS is gonna is gonna pick up, and I think Microsoft being there is gonna is gonna help. They're definitely going to be. They, they. I mean, I think they've definitely solidified themselves as an IaaS player right. at this point. Um, so, Mode One customers tend to value Azure um, to extend their infrastructure-oriented Microsoft relationship and investment in Microsoft technologies. And so, that—that's the key part because there, there's there's a lot of .NET developers out there. A lot of .NET shops. Yes. These kind of well, even, small even and just, mid-sized companies, even just big enterprise companies that have built their infrastructure on Microsoft. Yeah. So, you know, this, this gives them an option to say, take those same resources and, and put that stuff into the cloud. And then it says, Mode 2 customers tend to value Azure's ability to integrate with Microsoft's application development tools and technologies. So they really make it, Gartner really made it sound, because I read this whole part on Microsoft, they really made it sound like uh, Microsoft is really 
they have stayed within the Microsoft ecosystem with Azure, which is kind of counter to what I hear a lot from other sources. You hear about how they're, people are running Linux on Azure and doing all this non-Microsoft stuff on Azure. But Gartner really downplayed that. So, yeah. And I, you know, I don't think they've released numbers on that. So I don't know how much of it is what, what you should really believe. But, and then, yeah, Google was there. You know, they're, I mean, Google's problem is they don't know how to deal with businesses. They're not very good at selling to, selling to businesses and servicing businesses. So they've got some interesting stuff. You know, they're all about if you use our service, you can run like Google runs. All right, we're exposing all these technologies and tools that we basically, we invented here. And this is what we run our business on. Now we're letting you run your business on those too. Um, but, you know, do they have the right SLAs? Do they, do they, do they know how to sell to big companies and service them? Or is it just the typical model of Google, which, you know, good luck, you know, try to get a hold of someone at Google, right? <laughs> if you have a problem. <laughs> so I don't know if they're, you know, have any strong initiative to improve that or not, but. I think they'll always be stuck on this on the lower end of the market unless they can address that. That was pretty much it. Uh, assuming that that they want to be a major player in that. Yeah, they may not want to. I mean, yeah. they print cash with their web search and and ad, you know, ad system. So, I don't yeah. even know why they're getting into it. It's a commodity business. And AWS is constantly uh, Well, it's it's technology and they love being a part of the the, the technology. I guess what does it get them though to to say to 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 make that available to customers, which really just obligates them. Like now they have this an additional systems they're having to maintain, and are they even making any money? Will they ever make? It? I mean, is there any viable plan that in when the next five years they're going to be able to while competing against Azure and AWS? Will they would they be able to make any kind of money that could hold a candle to the kind of money they make from ad revenue? Like if you're trying to make that business case at a Google, you know, board meeting or something. That's hard. Yeah. Why should we even bother with this? Uh, I don't know. Maybe they have, maybe there's some kind of plan to tie in those services to other things and get people kind of locked into a big, not locked in, but tied into some kind of bigger framework or system or something. Who knows? Right. But that was that. Um, I saw you had something on the list. I don't know if it was next. Um, maybe not. Did you have something about <laughs> Benioff's compensation? I thought you did. I did. Yeah. Um, okay. I had something too. I want to talk about on that. So we don't have to do that now. But okay. What's next? Oh, the cloud bust. <laughs> uh, this is you know, this was. I, I have to warn you. Now I've seen. I've seen, I've been reading this kind of stuff, and I even been. I think I've been a source of this stuff but this was a forbes article so therefore any monkey with with a set of lipstick on their pig lips can write it for forbes <laughs> oh and you kind of get the feeling when you read this but I, I tried to summarize so basically this guy's saying that the you, there's questions about the market for traditional crm is it is it completely saturated you know is the way that you, even with even the way Salesforce works right now, is that not like CRM 1.0, but we really have moved on to some kind of like CRM 2.0. So, okay. And so it, well, hold on. Let me get that straight. It's, it's we're, we're including Salesforce as a kind of version one. Yeah. So the, okay. And what do you, oh, I think what he means by that is the way that 
the way that you use what he, what, you know, if you can imagine like CRM 1.0, so that, what is that? What is CRM 1.0? It would be like a, your, your front of house staff, sales and marketing people working their leads, working their opportunities, tracking their campaigns, all that kind of stuff, right? Whereas CRM 2.0 would be uh, customer centric. Like you've got your customer doing all these journeys, right? Stalking your customers through their journeys. And they're actually populating all this data basically mm-hmm. it's almost it's flip completely really flips it wasn't that the idea behind salesforce's be a, a customer company well customer company was i think more of a just a motto than anything else well i mean they, i think in some of their presentations they did talk about that that type of journey they do well they have um they bought what what has journey builder that was exact target right i think so yeah so but that's that's not even considered part of their CRM though is that that's the marketing cloud maybe that's part of CRM I don't know anyway I'm just trying to describe I'm not necessarily defending this, these points but this is stuff people are kind of talking about um, so then you got shift in demand towards integrated cloud suites so so Salesforce was the first to I mean they created software as a service pretty much they were definitely the biggest and best you know CRM in the cloud um, but you've got all these competitors. I mean, SAP, Oracle, they're all, they're all getting, they've been scrambling to get their stuff in the cloud, right? Like natively in the cloud and also well integrated, right? So that's, that's another point. And the third is, and this guy said, he keeps saying this, how, has this cloud, has cloud reached a tipping point? I think what he means by that is saturation is tipping point means something different. To me, tipping point means when something finally has enough momentum that now you're going downhill and it's like snowballing, right? Right. Every time he says tipping point, he's talking about like has it reached saturation, like the tipping point where it like falls off a cliff and dies. <laughs> Get your metaphors right, dude. You're confusing me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, so Salesforce has ridden this wave. So they've they've been growing by thirty percent a year. Was it like last year was like thirty two percent? I just said like unnecessarily. Uh, their annual revenue run rate is six billion, but no profits. Right. Um, they had one, they did have one cent per share profit last quarter, but that was because they canceled a lease. This is, it was actually in their, in their 10 Q. They canceled a, a, a lease and somehow they got $37 million back, which nudged them over into the profitable. So they were profitable last month. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever been able to break a lease successfully and get a bunch of money back? No, usually it's the opposite. I know. Like, like you're going, going exactly. Man, I need to be a powerful Silicon Valley CEO. Break leases? No, you just need to hire their lawyers <laughs> That's to, true. to negotiate your leases. So that you, so their market cap is fifty billion or forty eight billion dollars now. They've got twenty two percent market share, which doesn't sound big, but that's far bigger than whoever the next one is, like SAP. Um, but CRM is the biggest part of software. Software, you take the whole software as a service, you know, ecosystem or business. CRM is the biggest part of that. Like that's the most successful part of software as a service has been CRM, which is, and SaaS is the biggest part of cloud. <clears throat> and then he's saying how, you know, their stock price is in a bubble, which is why, which is why no one could buy them. So you had all these supposedly these acquisition attempts, but no one could buy them because it wouldn't make, <laughs> it wouldn't make sense because their stock price is in a bubble. So anyway, he's building this case about how if you add all this stuff up, you know, they're not profitable, but they've had all this growth. Their stock price is a bubble. You know, is this about to pop? Um, 
So concern one, despite the marketing and PR, Salesforce is mainly one-dimensional. We talked about this last week. I think it was last week. They're still 80% CRM. That's 80% of their business, even though they've added all this other stuff. And if you listen, again, if based on their, their, all their messaging and what you'll see at Dreamforce and all their different events, you know, they've got all the tons of other things, but nothing has traction like CRM does. And then concern number two is that their revenue growth is slowing at a significant rate. Um, and I would add to that that their cost of, cost of new business seems to be not decreasing, but if anything, increasing. I mean, their, their cost of customer acquisition is extremely high. It seems like anyway. I mean, it's, it's not until a, into a, a customer's second, at least second year of their contract that Salesforce actually pays back what it costs to get that customer. Um, and then he t- goes into how they falsely maintain the appearance of growth by inflating, by inflating billing. So they've changed, they've been jacking with their contract durations. They've been pulling business forward. And this is stuff that like technically we know about. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's in their, it's in their data, but it's made, it, it's made revenue growth. And especially when they talk about deferred revenue, right? That's their favorite number. Cause that's what that's all about. It's all about that's future growth. So they're kind of pulling forward to use as, as a stat now. Um, and you got people that dismiss those concerns. Um, but again, like I was talking about, you've got SAP and Oracle. They are, they're getting their apps in the cloud and they're, you know, they're supposedly fairly well integrated. Um, um, yeah. So customers want, you know, everything to be fast and agile nowadays so they can, so everyone can quickly change to how their business is changing and what their customers want. And so there's this race to move all these apps to the cloud. Um, so Salesforce created the first gen SaaS by being early, executing, and making it easy. Um, now companies are willing to take the next step and put more apps in the cloud, and they want everything to work together. But the problem is, it's still traditional CRM. Um, and uh, you know, even, again, s- the way Salesforce's CRM still works is still from the point of view of the person using the, the sales and marketing staff, not the customer, whereas we're seeing the shift to the customer's point of view. So control is moving to customers, right? And even Mark Benioff talks about that all the time. Customer-centric, um, omni-channel. You know, you hear that type of, does, does Mark talk about omni-channel? Definitely customers. I'm, I'm struggling to, to remember so that's instance like, where it's what, omni-channel. Whether they walk into a store, whether they call you, whether they tweet about you. Yeah, he's definitely talked about that. Right. Yeah, it's, 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 I think that's what they mean by omni-channel. Okay. Omni-channel. Um, and businesses are expected to respond in real time. And again, so he's saying, you know, CRM 1.0 has hit saturation, or at least that's what I think he's saying. He didn't use the word saturation, but that's, I think, the message he's trying to get across here. Salesforce's growth is slowing. Uh, Workday, their growth is slowing. So they, in the past three years, they've gone from 94% uh, year-over-year growth to 72% in their most recent year. Even though their like, revenues are still growing and their profitability is getting better, their revenue growth is only 30%. And so their stock, you know, they've had, their stock price has been falling because of that. Um. And there's a lot of increased competition, but but so my conclusion, because this I don't think this guy, I, just, I don't think he makes a good case. As, as you can probably tell, like it's he's kind of all over the place, and these things don't make a lot of. I don't think they make a coherent case that there's going to be some bust. I think CRM was a killer app, um, but customers are going to have better choices, right? As cloud matures. And traditional software is genuinely moved to the cloud. I don't, I don't that, that, like in a mode two kind of way, like cloud native. 
So I think small to that that's going to be true of small to medium. I think enterprises are still going to be firmly in the Salesforce side of things. Well, what do you mean by that? I mean, what in about terms of, the, in terms of CRM? If 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 the argument is that that there's better options out there for CRM, I argue there's there's not in terms of enterprise. Well, I think I think everything I think so. What Salesforce is doing, and also what Oracle and SAP and Microsoft are doing, I think I think they're all moving past CRM 1.0. That's why that's why I'm saying I don't think they're I don't see there's any kind of bust on the horizon. You know, I don't think I don't. Yeah, Salesforce might be their their stock price might be a little bit inflated, but big deal, right? Salesforce has got all those all these points. I mean, you could address with some Salesforce product or service they have, right? Right. And again, I but see, I, th- I think the argument he's trying to make about all these other options out there, they're very specialized niche or niche options. You know, right? They they work because they do something in a very simple, specific way, not in a very highly customized expanded I, i'm not sure the right words to say but not not in a way where what you're getting is more than a crm you get in the platform which is your ability to, to customize it and include other business units into the application and, and have that data and information kind of coexist and participate mm-hmm. versus what we're seeing now which is a lot of highly specialized very custom crms which are great for that industry and for that for what they're doing but when you get into an enterprise level where you're trying to meet the needs of many and all, you know, you're going to need something that's a little more flexible, something that's more customizable. And I still think Salesforce is still the best for that. Yeah, I mean, I can't really say it because I don't, I just don't know enough about, I don't have enough experience with SAP or Oracle or, the, you know, these companies that, that are on the same com- competition level with Salesforce. Um, or Dynamics. Yeah, are they there? I mean, I guess. I always see them as a slightly smaller business thing. I don't know if you... I see their names coming up more and more yeah. in terms of enterprise. I, I I think when people are comparing the two, I don't I don't hear SAP and I don't hear Oracle. I hear when it comes to CRM, I hear Salesforce and Dynamics in the conversations. That's interesting because Dynamics is uh, you know like fourth or fifth down the list. Wonder what that would be. It could be. I wonder if it's a reach country like a region of the country thing. Could be. Yeah. That or, I mean, Microsoft is, is a natural go-to, if, especially when most of your workforce is using Microsoft Windows and most of your, you know, everything you have runs on Microsoft technologies. Yeah. It's hard not to, to say, okay, well, Microsoft offers a CRM. Let's look at it at least. Right. I think that, and I, I think more and more that's the case. I just think traditionally, like the real big companies, you know, it's always like SAP, Oracle, and even Salesforce is new to those. I mean, five years ago, sales, I mean, look at the... Look at the movement that Salesforce has been able to make into large enterprise in the past five years. It's huge. Right. I mean, five years ago, they were still considered like a small and medium business solution. And now they're, I think they're talking to all the, all the Fortune 500, you know, CIOs, CEOs, CMOs. But yeah, so that was, (laughs) I don't think there's a bust. Okay, so you got some lightning, a lightning update for us? Oh, it's just a an article that I I found interesting. Um it was a, it was it's basically so Christoph Conrads, I hope I'm saying that name right. He he, he developed one of the earlier uh, applications with lightning components that that I started playing around with and it was that, you know, beer search app 
basically. No, yeah. I didn't see that. Yeah, I showed it to you. You didn't? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I showed it to you thinking you might get a kick at it because it was, it was all about beer. When, how long ago was this? <laughs> it was a while ago. Okay. A few months ago. But anyways, he, he took that, that and kind of rebuilt it using other, you know, using lightning, but using other things and other technology, well, not technologies, but components and things to kind of create something a little more real world type example. And so he came up with a kind of realty application and it looks very similar to the, to the beer application where you have a search box and then you have kind of a bunch of listings that represent, you know, that inventory. And in this, this particular example, it's, it's houses for sale, which I thought was pretty relevant to, to the kind of design that he had created here okay. with the components. Um, so, so yeah, it was the Belgian beer explorer. That's what it was. I remember that Belgian thing. So take that and take all the beer out, stick in a bunch of houses. There you go. Same type of app, though? Same type of app, though, yeah. Oh, so he's using Flexbox. That's good. I'm glad people are starting to use Flexbox more. That completely changes layout for apps. Yeah. I guess on mobile, I mean, I'm assuming this is supposed to be a mobile app. I don't know. Is it? Well, it's, it's lightning. It's meant to span across mobile, <laughs> tablet, and desktop. Yeah. Not sure they, I'm not sure how well that works yet, but. Well, um, you, the, the idea is that you have your components, they're specialized, and then you kit them together into your application. And you still control the layout for your different devices. So with the app builder, you'll still be able to say, this is what a tablet should look like in portrait mode. Mm-hmm. And this is what a, a mobile device should look like. And soon we'll get, this is what your desktop application should look like. Yeah. So a lot of the, you know, responsiveness in a Salesforce-like application doesn't really work because of all the different amounts of information that it should be able to scale to. And responsiveness doesn't really scale that way. It's more of a UI user experience okay. methodology, I guess. Yeah. So when you talk about responsiveness, the context matters. And applications, are it's very hard to kind of scale the content that way. So you do end up having to kind of design your layout specifically for those devices. Right. However... You can gain a certain amount of reuse. You can gain a certain amount of, you know, efficiency or, or commonality across those by developing these type of components and getting them together to make your application. I guess if they're, yeah, they're truly reusable. I've just, I think the whole responsive thing, it, it, it scales, it, it, it works to a certain degree, but, you know, the way you need to interact in an application on a mobile phone is just a different interaction model than like with a desktop app True. or a watch, right? Um, but yeah, so, okay, so this is just a demo app, I guess. Yeah, it's just a new demo app. I wanted the world to know about it. Oh, and that's on Salesforce's blog. It is. Cool. So next, this is interesting news. The And this happened last week while I was traveling. Salesforce was named one of the, uh, on the Forbes 500, and it was the first time they made this. And Are you talking about the Fortune 500? Fortune 500, yeah. What did I say Forbes? Four. Yeah, because that's what you wrote. That's yeah. why you said that. <laughs> that's why I said that. I wrote it wrong. But interesting, when, whenever I was talking to people about this, I'd, I'd say, hey, did you hear the news about Salesforce? I got the same reaction from everyone. It's like, I thought they already wore. Hmm. It, you know I mean? it, you it's know, all no, about revenue. I mean, once you hit, once you, you know, you're in the top 500 for revenue. But So I think prior to this, they were 599, something like that. They were close. Uh, I thought I read they were like... Yeah, or four thirty nine. They were, they were something. They were down there a little bit. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, like six. They weren't like one off. They were they were more than that last year. What are they now though? Oh, 
438 or something okay. uh, for something maybe that's the number i'm thinking of yeah see that's cool i mean it's you know it's one of these arbitrary things it's a good pr moment and it's nice to be able to say yeah but it's interesting though the people you the reaction you got was people people thought assume they already were right yeah are you, are you surprised that people thought that salesforce was bigger than what they are no not at all <laughs> i'm not either i was I, I i had the same reaction to it but you know hearing that other people had the same reaction to it was was interesting yeah but uh, while we're on the subject of salesforce and money let's talk about uh, compensation <laughs> plans this is fun this is uh, you had this article right yeah this is you. all right so what is this so this is from business insider actually eugene kim wrote this we've we've featured his articles before um but he he he's reporting that um now the way he's reporting it is kind of interesting because the title makes it seem like there's this kind of huge kind of upheaval about you know the pay package but all it was was a kind of a passive vote where they voted against kind of increasing his pay package so mark benioff basically receives 39 million a uh, 39 39 million pay package and that's comprised of you know, stock and salary and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So it's not just, it's, it's not a paycheck of 39 million. Right. Should be nice. Yes. It would be nice. So 47% of shareholders voted against him. Right. So they, they voted against the up and I think it's, it was a 25% raise um, from the year before, which he was making 34.3 million. Mm-hmm. Um, and of, of course that's, that's a huge difference, a huge jump from, from say what the CEO, I'm sorry, the CFO and, um, the VP Keith Block is making. Yeah, they're still making millions a year. So don't it's all feel, relative. Don't feel sorry for it. It's him. all relative. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, so he's talking about how it's, it's rare to see a company that's doing well as well as Salesforce um, have almost half the shareholders vote against an, a compensation package. Right. Um, maybe a sign of shareholders growing tired of Salesforce's executives' rich compensation. <laughs> Are we talking about profitability now? Later in the article, he states. In aggregate, the seven named executive officers made approximately $89.7 million in total compensations. That's more than 13% of the total general and administrative cost, where, le- where legal utilities and executive salary expenses are looped in altogether. Yeah, so, and, and he points out how Salesforce, they don't, they're still not paying dividends. Or they can because they don't, they don't have anything to pay them out of, really. Um, and so shareholder, shareholders might start to get more upset that Salesforce executives are putting all this money in their pockets, but they, uh, you know, haven't necessarily earned it yet, I guess is the way they feel. Yeah. And that's, that's probably key to the point of, of why they probably voted against it. And they're, he's making enough <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're not paying dividends. So when you think of shareholders voting, um, you, you know, always, you, you ever wonder like, well, who are these shareholders? Right. These guys like me and you who own a little bit of stock here and there. Well, I don't own Salesforce, but, um, no, cause it, these, these are the top, the people who like have a, are on the board voting, in my opinion. These aren't like stocks that you buy through a broker and, and you get to vote through that. Well, it's, it's all shareholders can vote, right? Do you ever get those things in the mail? Those, you gotta, yeah, but you know, I mean, I, I think Do you ever the send people those who in? are voting are the people who have some kind of significant say like, because of their, their amount of shares. Right. And therefore, could be. they're getting reported. So, so speaking of significant shares, here's what's interesting. And this is kind of unique for sale. Any, a thing that's unique to Salesforce. There are these things called institutional shareholders, so big hedge funds, mutual funds, or whatever, right? Uh, Salesforce's percentage of 
stock that's owned by institutional investors is nine, like 90 something percent, extremely high. Wow. So I bet, all, I bet all those guys voted. Yeah. But anyways, all this is foreign to me. This is your topic, man. Yeah. <laughs> I dug it up because I thought it was interesting because I, I, I've always wondered kind of what that package looks like. Um, and that's, that's a pretty big number. Well, he already owns 5% of Salesforce, right? Is that right? Is it that low? I believe I believe that. Well, that's. I thought it was closer to ten. I don't know. I just thought I, I thought it was five. Oh. But let, let's say it is just five. Um, what is that? Two. That's several billion dollars, right? Three billion. So he's already got it. I mean, he's still got a ton of stock, I guess. Maybe. So I, I don't. I really don't think it's any skin off his back if he doesn't get his raise. Although I don't know, I haven't seen his bills. <laughs> uh, well, that's that. Nothing too exciting. There. Yeah, a little gossip. Just a little, a little gossip. gossip to end of the show. Yeah, just a little gossip. Well, how do we do on our? Just uh, a look on the other side. How of we do on our ticks. I haven't been keeping track. Yeah, I had. I had at least five. I probably had ten. I prefer my technique because then I'm not distracted by by speaking during the podcast. I can just talk, and I'll just make mental notes yeah. on how to improve. So, how long do you think that would last? You listening to every, going back and listening to every podcast with your tally chart? <laughs> not long. I do listen to every episode. Do you? Yes. Oh wow! I don't just fire and forget. I listen to. I'll, I'll spot listen to make sure that you know the sound was right. And nothing. You know, the, all the pieces are there, whatever. I mean, we really don't edit, but just to make sure something, you know, the, I'll check to make sure the beginning's there and the end's there, and Jeremy, I'm good how, to go. how can you expect other people to listen if you do not listen yourself? I listen first. I listen to the show live. <laughs> 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 I have the best seat in the house, man. No, because when you're talking, I just kind of zone out. Well, that's true. I just, I, there's a fly on the wall I'm staring <laughs> Until at. Until you it. decide you want to interrupt I'm me. Like, well, well, like, I wonder <laughs> what's going through that fly's mind right now. <laughs> and I'll glance over and mm. see if your mouth is still moving. I'm yep. like, yeah, he's still, let's see. That fly, man. He's got an easy life. So <laughs> oh, I have oh, to, I, oh, Jeremy's done talking now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I interrupt you. Sometimes I'm like, right. oh, I want to say this right now. Right. Exactly. <laughs> oh. And to that, I say, good day, sir. Good day, sir. Has been ranked by Gartner. That's why Gartner. Gartner, Gartner data. You know, we keep getting accolades from Gartner. Gartner has ranked Salesforce as the worldwide market share leader. I'm running my business right from my wrist. That would be amazing. <laughs>